0: Hi, Bossies! Today we have Beverly Hills surgeon Samuel Gopanian with us. We are going to talk all things beauty, surgery, wellness, and trends. After going through all the questions, we are going to answer some of the questions you have sent in via Instagram for him to answer as well. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to the show, Samuel.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: You're welcome. We are really happy to have you here. Can you give us a little introduction about yourself?
1: Sure. So uh, I'm a plastic surgeon. I mainly do cosmetic surgery. I'm based out in Beverly Hills, California. Again, I do mostly cosmetic surgery. I focus a lot on liposuction, body contouring, things like tummy tucks, Brazilian butt lift, and of this sort.
0: So interesting. We have some questions about that later on. So. When it comes to searching for like a great surgeon, what is something you should be considering and have in mind?
1: Well, that really depends on who you ask. Um, as a surgeon myself, I've been on the other end, I've been a patient, and you know the, the doctor's credentials are super important, but you know, I don't think they're the most important. If someone went to an Ivy League school versus non-Ivy League school, I don't think that should determine who you go to. I think the best and most important thing at least in the plastic surgery world are results mm-hmm. and bedside manner um i definitely think that cosmetic surgery is not just surgery of the body it's surgery of the mind it boosts people's confidence and how they feel and so you really have to attend to how the patient feels and really be there for them not only before surgery but all the way up to years after surgery, yeah. um, and I and I also really think that it's it's super important to have good results. I mean, it's yeah. it's external surgery, so that's what you people come to you for.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, going to your plastic surgeon, it's something, it's a relationship you build like for years. So it's important that kind of connection and the relationship that you feel safe and also hurt and that the results you have in mind that you can communicate them so that he's able or she's able to give you those results as well. Exactly. Um, right. What's the best thing we would you say in your twenties and your thirties to keep a youthful appearance?
1: i'm a huge proponent of botox i do botox myself i you know people freak out about botox it has Mm. been becoming more and more accepted but it's really preventative so uh everyone thinks they're going to get this fake look this elevated look of their brows there's a way to do it to make it look very natural make it look like you had nothing done but you just flatten the lines smooth out the line Um, Botox weakens your muscle. If you weaken your muscle, you weaken the amount of contraction and the amount of wrinkling on your face. And so that improves the smoothness of your skin. And I think you'll have great skin in the future if you use Botox.
0: Mm -hmm. Like I have this brow that I just can't stop raising. It's just my right brow. I have to raise it nonstop. So I think I'm training that muscle to do it more. Right. And that Botox would relax exactly that muscle. So long term i think that would really help well i'm gonna look into that um but what about like the surgery trends that we see online is there like as a surgeon yourself what do you make of that
1: i think first of all with the whole pandemic surgery has been going all over the place people thought that plastic (laughs) surgery would kind of uh, go on a downtrend after the pandemic it actually went on an uptrend people had More time, more money, the money that they had to travel in the past now goes towards surgery and a lot more downtime to recover from that surgery. Um, As far as the types of procedures, you know, it's really interesting the American Society of Plastic Surgery always has these different statistics of the most common surgery types. Rhinoplasty and breast augmentation have been very popular over the last decade and a little bit more so in different age groups. Um, I think what's what's uptrending Mm-hmm. Uh, are is liposuction, um, okay. as well as Brazilian butt lifts. Now, Brazilian butt lift is, is very popular in countries like South America. Yeah. It's very popular in cities like Miami in the U.S., but uh, it's becoming more and more popular in places like the Midwest, California. And I think the thought is, you know, there's a thought that there's a very high rate of death. Like there's yeah. a risk of death. Exactly. Yeah. So just to talk about that a little bit briefly, you Mm -hmm. have skin, fat, and muscle. Mm -hmm. In certain countries, certain surgeons, they inject very deep into the muscle. You have blood vessels there. And if you inject too deep, you can definitely get into the vein and that can travel to the heart and lung and it can be lethal. So
0: so you mean um, the fat that they take from one place and then re-inject into the patient? Correct you have to have like enough knowledge where you put that in to make it safe, right? Because that's the thing I wanted to ask you like about the BBL, we see it all over social media procedure. And it's known just to be one of the most dangerous surgeries out there.
1: If you inject too much and too deep, it's definitely a risk. But what people are doing now more recently is injecting subcutaneous, which means into the fat, into the fat above the muscle. and there are no blood vessels there that are dangerous to inject into so there's different techniques of how to inject but the most important thing is not to inject too deep if you inject too deep you can get into the blood vessels that cause what we call a fat embolism where the fat goes into the blood vessel into the heart and lung if you inject over the muscle into the actual fat of the buttock area then you have a much much lower risk it's not a zero percent risk but no surgery is a zero percent risk so Um, You know, I do them often and I go into the subcutaneous plane like other surgeons here in Beverly Hills. And, you know, thank God I haven't had any fat embolism cases and I don't plan on having any, but there's a safe way to do it.
0: Yeah. I recently also, this is so interesting that we are talking about this right now. I recently came across a TikTok um, of a girl who explained that she did the BBL and she has gained even more weight on the places she had her fat transfer to. And she now wants a reduction of the fat because her hips and her butt look huge compared to the rest of her body. And it was obvious to the eye that she had work done. Why does that happen? And does this happen often?
1: Yeah. So people think that if you get liposuction, that you never gain weight back to that area or you gain weight in other areas and not the lipode area. That's false. Mm-hmm. When you do liposuction, you're removing the number of fat cells. Yeah. When people okay. gain weight as an adult, you don't gain more fat cells. The number of fat cells you have in your body as an adult stops. You stop growing the number of cells. So okay. when you lose weight or gain weight, all you're doing is shrinking or increasing the size of the fat cells. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if I do liposuction, I'm actually doing something invasive, I'm coming in, and I'm removing those fat cells. And if I'm doing fat grafting, I'm coming in, I'm injecting fat, I'm adding fat cells. Mm -hmm. So if you start gaining weight in an area where you added fat cells to, those cells are going to get bigger, and they're going to look disproportionately larger than other areas where you have fat.
0: So you have to do it like as a surgeon, maybe moderate, right? Not too much or. Well,
1: that's, that's one thing not to inject too much, but also people have to understand that if you fluctuate a lot in weight, then you're going to see changes in areas of surgery. Mm -hmm. So surgery doesn't prevent you from fluctuating and changing your shape. Right. If you have a tummy tuck, for example, you tell the patient, make sure, you know, First of all, you don't want to do tummy tuck on someone who's going to get pregnant again, because they're going to have fluctuations in weight. They're going to have fluid changes, hormonal changes. They stretch out their tissue. You do all that work and it kind of ruins your results. So you want to make sure they're done with their pregnancies. They're done, you know, they're maintained a stable weight. And then you do the surgery.
0: Also with the Brazilian butt lift, if you want to have children, should you have this behind you and then get the Brazilian butt lift? Or does that not really matter so much?
1: With BBLs, it doesn't really matter how many okay. kids you've had. It's not yeah.
0: Okay. I think one question a listener sent in fits into this topic right now. So I'm going to go into this right now. The question was fat transfer to the breast. Is it possible? Is it dangerous? Will it influence breastfeeding later in life negatively?
1: It's funny. You just bring that up. I just had a post-op patient that I did. I did a tummy tuck, fat transfer to the breast. Okay. So fat transfer to the breast um, is not dangerous. Okay. Um, There are no major vessels or anything like that in the breast. Now, I have to say that it's not the best option unless you have a very petite frame, like in Asian women who have a very, very petite frame, or if you want to go half a cup size bigger. The reason being is because when you inject fat into the breast, almost half of it gets absorbed. It doesn't survive. And we know that. So even if we over-inject, anticipating that half of it, 40% gets absorbed. And so that 60% that remains, it's not going to augment the breast like an implant. It'll only get you maybe from a small B to a full B or a small C to a full C. So it's not dangerous. I mean, every surgery has a risk, but it's not considered one of the dangerous types of surgeries. Okay. It's for petite people who want to get a little bit bigger. And I think breastfeeding was the next question. It should not, no. Um, again, like anything, there's no 0% risk. I would think, uh, breast implants have a higher risk because when you're cutting to put the implant into the pocket, if especially you're over the muscle, there is a chance you're, you can cut into the breast glands, the milk duct. So fat grafting, you're just injecting fat and the fat goes in between. It's not like, uh, you're severing or cutting any of those milk ducts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, is there a risk? Yeah, there's a risk, but. Uh, I haven't heard of it happening and it's not reported to be high risk.
0: Does that happen also with the loss of the fat? As you said, it doesn't survive. Only 40%, you said, will survive, right? To the breast.
1: 60% survives.
0: 60%. Okay, 60% yeah. survives. Is it also like this when you get the BBL or yes. have to your face, your fat grafting? There's also fat grafting, I think, yeah. for the face. Okay, so it's the same everywhere.
1: That's the nature of fat grafting. Fat, it's a living tissue. It needs oxygen and blood supply. And when you're, you know, there's different techniques to put it in certain areas where it's mm-hmm. surrounded by blood supply. But if you put too much fat, at some point, not all those fat cells are getting all the nutrients it needs, right? It's like they block each other out. There are methods to improve it. Um, The technique we use as surgeons, sometimes there's reported techniques of how to inject, where to inject. There's different adjuncts to surgery, such as hyperbaric oxygen, that's shown to improve fat graft take. So the amount of fat graft that remains. There's things like that. But yeah, more or less, you can't control how much fat remains and how much stays.
0: But once the fat sticks, it will stay, right? Like for years to come. It's not something you have to redo like fillers or Botox every, what, six months, every year, right?
1: Correct. Whatever remains, remains. But like I said, if you lose a lot of weight, those cells shrink. If you gain weight, those cells expand.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. We see more and more young girls in their 20s getting that fox eye look. I'm certain you have uh, seen this or have done it yourself. Most of them achieve that with an endoscopic brow lift. Is that ever a good idea doing surgery on your skin when you're that young? And can the same be achieved with Botox?
1: Yeah. So those are all really good questions. A fox lift is basically a temporal brow lift. So a standard brow lift is usually where your pupil is, it's in the middle, Mm -hmm. but a temporal brow lift is on the sides giving you that fox look. As surgery at that age is okay. It's not as bad as other things. Like if you choose the wrong patient to do it on, if you do a buckle fat removal, fat removal Mm -hmm. from the cheek, if you do it on the wrong patient, they can age prematurely and poorly where they have a very, very aged appearance of their lower third of their face. So for this, these don't last as long, they don't have as lasting effects as things like removing fat. And so because of that, with time and gravity, it will descend. So many people that get the brow lift will likely need or likely want another one in the future. So I don't really think there's a downside to getting it at a younger age.
0: Mm -hmm. that's so interesting that you are mentioning the buckle fat removal because we've seen it like the sculpt look that like model-esque look that people strive to have what do you make of it because I feel like it supports kind of your cheek also. And the older you get, I want all the fat to be in my face, right? I want, yeah. I think I read a medical article where it said, like, when you are in your 20s and 30s, you start losing fat and later your skin elasticity, it starts to yeah. become more poorly within your 40s and 50s. So the first thing would be fat. So if you remove buckle fat, is that not usually something that will age you sooner anyway?
1: Ye- yeah that's what i'm saying you're yeah. lo- you're gonna lose some of it so to remove it you really have to be a good candidate you have to have a really round fat face because mm-hmm. the fat people don't realize fat is what gives you the youth
0: exactly yeah. right
1: if you look at someone yeah. who's heavier they have a yeah. usually a, a less hollowed out appearance if you look at someone in a nursing home who's really old everything is hollowed out they're missing a lot of fat And with age, you don't only lose fat, but they even have done studies where your actual bone,
0: bone,
1: you know, shrinks. So everything, the skin and the fat, you know, it descends and it sags over loss of support. So that buckle fat is in a way, yes, the support for that skin, that overlying skin and to give you that, you know, full look. Mm -hmm. So it can be done. It's not a dangerous procedure unless You're doing it on the wrong person. If you're doing it on the wrong person, it can age you prematurely.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you do facelifts also?
1: I do facelifts. uh, I actually do it with a colleague of mine. Okay. He actually only does things like facelifts, everything from the neck up. And so we came up with the you know a little thing where we do these things together. I think it's a synergistic effect having two surgeons. So yeah, we we do facelifts. We do nose jobs. They do it with him. I do full body. He does only face. So we we think that it's like more of a, a synergistic approach.
0: And when you think of the facelift, do you also inject fat and work with that? So it's not just old skin that we used to see back in the days, you know, when you yeah. would see, oh my God, she has a facelift. Do you look into those things? Before this, I read about the SMAS facelift, S-M-A-S, uh, SMAS yes. facelift, right? And Vertical Restore, those deep plane facelifts, where they all also look into injecting fat into areas that have thinned out. So it doesn't look kind of pulled back.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, the way facelift was approached back in the day was just taking that skin, pulling it up, removing the excess skin and suturing it closed. And like you said, that doesn't address all the things that Mm -hmm. lead to aging. It's not just the skin, the fat, it's the underlying, you know, smash the bone. So Mm -hmm. for the bone, you can't really do much, right? You can't add bone. Mm For the skin, you could remove the skin. But what the deep plane facelift does, or a SMAS, you know, there's different things you can do with the SMAS, which is a thin, very strong layer of fascia over the muscles of the face. Okay. And so you use that to also pull up the tissue so that you're not just pulling skin with no support. The SMAS is a support, like the bone. And so you pull it up, so now there's more support, and it doesn't look like it's just like a pulled skin look. Yeah. it looks like everything is actually restored to its natural position. Mm-hmm. And to augment that, you take the fat and you inject it in certain areas that are hollowed out. And that can act as a medium between the bone and the missing fat. It's a combination of both to give you that, that foundation. Like a mm-hmm. house is rested on a foundation. You want that foundation, you inject the fat, it lifts everything up. So now you have mm-hmm. the fat that you injected, this mass, mm-hmm. which gives you extra support And then you pull the skin, remove whatever's excess. And that gives you more of a natural look.
0: Okay. I have also seen the Hilton sisters. They did a cheek lift. What happens there? Like, how do you do that procedure? What does that look like?
1: I haven't done that procedure myself. I know Mm -hmm. about it. Um, You can do a non-invasive. You can do Voluma filler into the zygomatic bone, the cheekbone here. Yeah, Um, That can become a problem if you do it a lot and then in the future you want surgery because that filler kind of distorts all the tissue and it becomes harder to do surgery later on, Um, especially if you're not injecting the right product. Uh, There's a lot of things that should not be injected into certain places. If you do a surgical cheek lift, it's almost like a facelift where the incision starts here. But instead of going all the way around the ear to the back of the, you know, the back of the scalp. You're really just doing a very, very modified short scar right in front of the ear. And what that does is it, it it affects this tissue right here and you pull it up. So you don't have to pull these things up to affect the jowl or these, you know, this tissue up to affect uh, the brow or anything like that, or the neck, but you're really just doing a small incision in front of the ear where it's basically like a facelift, but it's like focused to the cheek because the facelift is addressing everything in the face
0: talking about fillers, what do you think of them? I've seen a lot of videos about like filler migration. And I've seen MRIs where fillers actually lasted over 10 years. Is that about a certain type of filler? Or why does that happen?
1: It's uh, a good question. Filler is known to they tell you it lasts about six months, if you do it yeah. again, you know, Shortly thereafter, in the next three to four months, then you have like a synergistic effect where it could last up to 18 months. But the way they measure it is kind of subjective, right? It's a lot of them are based on questionnaires asking the patient. If you do an MRI, you're gonna see stuff that the patient may not notice externally, but if you look at the MRI, you'll see little bits and pieces of that filler still there. So it's not like Botox where your body metabolizes the botulinum toxin and you know your nerve terminals regenerate what they need to regenerate it's a foreign body that you're injecting and your body metabolizes some of it some of it is kind of just walled off and it just stays where it is in your body so filler yes can stay it can migrate what i think is i mean listen if you want to do it i think you have like anything in surgery you have to be the right candidate you have to take it slowly Mm -hmm. can't do too much don't go overboard i'm a big big believer of natural results
0: yeah
1: i want the patient to feel like they look beautiful they look prettier they look more refreshed but not like something has been done and -hmm. same thing for people that see the patient i don't i'd rather the patient see their mom or their friend and whoever and they say wow you look really good what Mm -hmm. did you do Mm -hmm. rather than oh my god did you have surgery or did you Mm -hmm. have filler yeah. So um, I think you know you just have to do it the right way. You have to go to the right person who does these frequently. Um, same thing with the lips. You know, people put a lot of lip filler in, and a lot of times their upper lip length is too long, and you just put filler, 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 filler. And they and get when that duck upper... lip, <laughs> yeah.
0: The
1: duck lip, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you need a lip lift. Yeah, Um, you need a lip lift and that scar goes right underneath the nostrils, barely visible.
0: I think that was a question we got also from our listeners. Is it possible to get a lip lift without a scar? Will you see it or can you laser it so it's really invisible? Or will there be like a little bit that you will see at the end of the day?
1: You get a surgical lip lift yeah everyone scars you have to scar that's just the way the body works but depending on your genetics your own personal factors avoidance of sun whatever you do everyone scars differently uh you can laser it you can put silicone gel and stuff like that to minimize the scarring but at the end of the day you can't control completely how you scar but it is in an area where this area is kind of indented in so right under your nostril and mm-hmm. so it's a much better area that scars compared to let's say if you do an arm lift here or thigh lift which scar horribly that's if you do surgery you can do like a non-surgical lip lift which people call it's just botox i do mm-hmm. that um, the results are not as in my in my opinion as impressive but if you want just a very natural lift to lip. your lip you can do a few units of botox on the mm-hmm. lip and there's no scar there it's just an injection
0: is it going to change your nostrils like I usually see people's noses getting wider but I think that was also something with the bullhorn lip lift back in the days is it possible nowadays to achieve that lip lift without your nostrils being pulled down or widening
1: yeah the bullhorn lip lifts I mean they still do it there's different ways to design it and depending on your anatomy there's different you know widths and orientations of how you want to pull the tissue up so the short answer is that if you do it the right way, it should not change the contour of your tip or your ala.
0: Okay. Where can you inject fillers in your face? Can you lift a face with Botox or only with fillers? First question. <laughs>
1: so the question about lifting cuz I didn't mention it for the yeah. fox eyes. You could do a brow lift with Botox, but again, it's not as extensive as an actual surgical brow. Lift. These muscles around the eye pull the eye down okay your really? orbicularis oculi the muscle around your eye pulls your eye down the forehead muscle the, the frontalis muscle pulls the eyebrow up so they're opposing forces okay. so if you inject around this muscle around the eye and you don't inject here yeah you can get a very accentuated look because okay. now this muscle is working alone without disbalancing it mm-hmm. so then people say, hey, I don't want that look. I look super, super like I'm excited and raising my (laughs) eyebrows. So you could do a little bit around the eye and a little bit on the forehead, but you just inject a little bit higher than usual. So now you have a little bit of muscle here working to lift your brow and that will give you a touch of a brow lift. It's just about the the muscles and knowing where to inject and how much to inject to kind of give you that lift. Yeah. And for filler, yeah, you can't get a lift with a filler. Okay, mm-hmm. um, you could improve the support at a young age, like if you needed it, which you don't, even if you wanted it, I tell you, you don't need it. But yeah. if you wanted to get some support in your cheekbones, yeah. you could put some filler and that kind of gives you that base, that foundation with mm-hmm. like Voluma into this area, it, it okay. augments the cheeks. Yeah. But if someone came in who's really old, loose skin, missing fat, bone is shrinking, they need a facelift. They need actual, they, you need to take the tissue and restore it to its natural position. Because mm-hmm. at that point, it, you're, you're, you're too far out.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but other areas of filler, you can do filler obviously in the smile lines, you can do filler in the marionette lines here. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: people do filler even in like certain areas of the chin that has like the peel orange, that look, that orange peel look, Some people have like a very, um, yeah, they have a very permanent, it's just permanent. Yeah. Or they have a permanent line here because they never did Botox. And you can kind of pop out those lines with a little bit of filler very superficially, very close to the skin to Mm -hmm. smooth it out. Mm -hmm. Um, And then under the eyes, under the eyes is, I don't want to scare people. It can be very dangerous. It's near blood vessels around the eye to lead to blindness. So if you don't do it the right way, Again, you have to go to someone who does this all the time. You do little pokes, um, into a ligament here, which gives people that tired look, the baggy eye, Mm -hmm. and you fill that area and smooth it out.
0: I feel like nowadays when we go on social media, for example, and we see a lot of surgeons who are incredible and some maybe are less incredible, we see these crazy before and after transformations, but often they can be like deceiving. The light and the angles are different from the original picture. What should people do? Should people request real in-office before and after images straight from the website to assure the authenticity? Or what can you do to ensure having great results? What do you look for when deciding for, somebody who should do your fillers, somebody who should do your Botox or do surgery on you.
1: I think it's hard to pick a surgeon through social media for the reasons yeah. that you just mentioned. I think if it's a nice stepping stone. like it's the first step, but it's not the final step. I think people should look at people's social media to kind of get a feel for what that person does or who that person is. But the most important thing is to meet the surgeon in person, their bedside manner, explaining things to you um and just getting a feel for how honest and genuine that person is
0: okay I like
1: to be very very straightforward in my patients Mm -hmm. I know people don't want to say everything because then it can scare people I'd rather say everything and be honest and if you don't need something I'll tell you you don't need something it's not worth my business to give you a bad look because Mm -hmm. I just made an extra whatever it's more about making you feel good and making you happy and something I do in my mom or my sister or my significant other. It's not something to play around with. Social media is one thing. And like you said, the lighting is super hard. It's really hard to answer that question. As a surgeon, we even have sometimes trouble really delineating what is real and what is not real. We do learn some things in our training to see like for what underwear the patient wears before and after, if they're wearing makeup before or after. There's a lot of inconsistencies That you have to take note of lighting, how the lighting is, if the lighting is from above, from below, if there's two sources of light. So, yeah, all those things are very difficult and I think impossible to tell over social media. Mm -hmm. What would be important is to call the office, um, see that surgeon's staff, because the staff is a reflection of the surgeon. Because, I mean, listen, if you're sloppy, if you don't care about things, it's going to manifest itself in more ways than one. Yeah. And then when yeah. you meet your surgeon, it's just, you got to have a feel for how genuine they are. Definitely okay to ask for more before and afters. A lot of surgeons have a portfolio that you could see in the office that looks a little bit different than their social media profile, mm-hmm. patient testimonials, and seeing what that person does a lot of, you know, I'm a big believer of you want to go to the person that does a lot of that
0: there are like surgeons specializing only on those jobs. I love that. I like when somebody only focuses like you do on the body and somebody else does on the face, then you have more cases of them doing one of the same procedure. And so you can see more before and afters and that person has more experience in that exact field. But talking about social media, do patients come in to your office and ask, make them look like a filter or show you an image of themselves and they have edited it looks like the end results they kind of want to is that something that happens more and more or not
1: I don't usually get people editing their own photos I mm-hmm. have a lot of people coming showing me photos of celebrities photos okay. of other girls that they like what they have done it's hard for the patient to edit their own photos we do have certain machines like the Vectra machine for breast augmentation it kind of scans the body and then it shows you what your breasts would look like with different implants okay um But I mean, these are just kind of things to kind of give an idea. It's not gonna make everyone look exactly like that. And even with the photos that the patients bring in, I tell them, this is a good uh, template to look at. I will definitely look at it. And I will definitely let you know what your expectations should be. Mm -hmm. Because some people come in and, you know, they have really, really small breasts or they have really, really like a tuberous deformity or something wrong with the shape of their breasts, that's very difficult to correct. And they want to have the most natural looking large breasts. And they have to understand it's, it's very hard to achieve that same thing with the butt area. Yeah. If you have a V shape. You have very, you're very top heavy. You have no hips, no buttock, and they want a nice pair or a shape. It's very hard to achieve that. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: So it all, it's all about where you're starting.
0: Okay. You
1: yeah. tell you where you're going to be.
0: Yeah, that makes so much sense. Talking about celebrities recently, that was an interesting thing happening. Jennifer Lopez, she came out with a skincare line, and she claimed that the only things keeping her young and vibrant is olive oil. And that's allegedly why she has remained her youthful appearance, even at age 50. What do you make of this? Since all her before and after pictures, they show proof of a lot of work that has been done. What would you suggest is the real reason she looks this young? Because... I'm certain my listeners want the inside scoop of how to look this good at age 50, to slow down aging, kind of. So
1: the first thing is olive oil. Let me talk about olive oil. There's no medical literature to prove olive oil works, okay? (laughs) Olive oil is something that retains and maintains moisture. Moisture is what your cells, your skin cells love and need to remain youthful. So moisturizing in general is great for the skin. There's things with hyaluronic acid in it, which are helpful, but what's been really shown in the dermatology and the plastic surgery world to be super helpful are two, sometimes three things. Okay. Tretinoin, retinoic acid. So that has actually been proven. It affects your DNA in a way. It affects an enzyme made by your DNA, which basically doesn't allow this enzyme called collagenase to break down collagen in your skin. And if it blocks that from happening, then the collagen that usually goes down as you age is maintained. So tretinoin or retinoic acid, it maintains the dermis, the thickness of your dermis. Yeah, it improves pigmentation. It affects the melanocytes in your skin. So it does all these things where people at the age of 50 or 60 who have been using it for 20 years, they say, wow, my skin looks 10, 15, 20 years younger.
0: I once read that retinol can thin out the skin. Is that
1: it, true it, or? So it thickens the dermis, it can it thins out the epidermis, but all the effects, the combination of the effects, it really improves skin texture, fine lines, all the irregularities you see in the skin, acne, hey. stuff like that. So yeah. they've shown now that no one works synergistically with even better with things like uh, beta hydroxy or alpha hydroxy acid. So there's a company, I actually use it, it's called Paula's Choice.
0: I, I and, have it. Yeah. Okay. I. Uh, do you it's have great. the 1%? Uh, so Rachel? it's the dark
1: gray bottle.
0: No, I have like the purple bottle, but I couldn't use it. I just used a little bit with moisturizer and yeah. I tried to introduce my skin to it, but I got an inflammation and then I had to go to my dermatologist and she was like, yeah, you used it incorrectly. So that's also something to use it correctly.
1: Yeah, yeah, you have to, some people can't tolerate it. You have to do it incrementally, slowly. Same thing with the tretinoin, like it's different percentages. So there's like 0.1%, 0.05%, 0.025%. 0.1% sounds really, really tiny, but it's strong for many people. So the tretinoin, you don't want to use it you know, they, they don't work together well, and you can get like very, it can be very strong. So you use a Tretinoin at night, you use a Paula's choice or whatever alpha or beta hydroxy acid in the morning. And then after the Paula's choice or whatever you use in the morning, you want to put SPF.
0: I've used important. it from the age of 24. Every day, I cannot go out if I don't have sunscreen on. Yeah. And I'm cringing at thinking of me laying in the sun back in the days when I were like 16, 15. Like, why did I do this to myself? But now I just don't go into the sun anymore. I well, you have, ever. I can tell.
1: I mean, you can have, you have very beautiful skin, very, very yeah. natural glowing skin. And yeah, I can imagine it's from, you know, maintain, maintaining it.
0: Yeah, um, a lot. <laughs> a lot. So those...
1: <laughs> Yeah, those three <laughs> things, as far as what you apply. Yes. Avoiding sun, super important. Hydrating, super important.
0: Internally eat, also. Yeah. yeah. Talking about nutrition and maybe exercises. Are there things you would suggest are to avoid when it comes to those things and things you should implement more into your life?
1: I mean, people talk about rubbing your face too much. Yeah. Uh, if you do it very, very frequently, yeah. then you can kind of cause wrinkling and Yeah, stretching of the skin. But that's like something that you do chronic. The other important thing, you know, talking about JLo, genetics, darker skin individuals age better than lighter skin individuals. That's a fact. It's just your genes. Like there's some things you can't control for.
0: I've seen so many laser treatments. Are there some laser treatments that will slow down the aging process a little bit or those lasers, won't they like thin your skin out, even though you look glowy and fresh afterwards, but long-term doing those things, would you recommend those?
1: You know, I do Morpheus. It's like microneedling with radiofrequency ablation. And yeah, like you said, it it helps uh, improve the texture, acne scarring, makes the face look glowing yes it can thin out the skin if done chronically done multiple times especially if you want to get surgery in the future now you have that skin that is not as healthy or as thick as someone you know who has a virgin face who has had nothing done to their face Mm -hmm. so it's a balance like anything in life it's all about balance i Mm -hmm. believe in natural results i believe in doing things naturally i mean if you really need it and you want to do a little bit of it go ahead. If you don't need it, what's the point? People just, they try to do so much because they're anticipating aging, but really the most important things. And it's funny, I'm saying this as a plastic surgeon, but the most important things are lifestyle, what you eat, what you drink, where you go, sun exposure, things like that. And, and just genetics. I mean,
0: that's so interesting that you say this. Do you believe in those pills and multivitamins and people taking collagen and all those things? Do you um, believe in those things or?
1: I used to until I went to medical school. And then I learned <laughs> that a lot of the the vitamins that we hear about are kind of a gimmick. As a general rule, these vitamins are good if you're vitamin deficient, which means if you take a blood test and you're actually deficient in a vitamin, yes, take the vitamin like B12. Yeah. I know people that take B12 shots, they swear by it. I don't know that there's so many medical um, papers on it. What I do know is vitamin D as in dog is excellent for you. People have been taking that even for the pandemic with COVID, like, you know, they used to think, oh, it's great for your bones. And then they found that, oh, it's preventative against certain cancers. And then they found, oh, it's like, it's helpful, preventative against uh, MS, multiple sclerosis. So there's a lot of benefits of uh, vitamin D vitamin c and zinc they don't prevent you from getting sick but if you do get the common cold it can speed up that it takes for you to recover Mm -hmm. um but otherwise like the multivitamins that have everything in it it's not it's not really necessary in my opinion
0: I always take vitamin D and iron, but only because I have the blood tests, you know, and my doctor always tells me I have to take them. (laughs) That's the only reason why. I don't think I would just purchase them for no reason. And that's why I'm asking you because we have so much misinformation about these kinds of things. And I think the issue is also that we get a lot of our information. And unfortunately, nowadays from social media and we see celebrities, they do a gazillion procedures a year and they tell us oh my god I have this amazing collagen drink and that's why I stay young and then you purchase it and think you know I will have her skin maybe by the end of the year but it's just not yeah. going to happen for you but that's why I'm asking you these types of things because I feel like we have so much misinformation depending on where you get your information from but talking about celebrities and procedures do you know what kind of celebrity procedures are the most common right now is there something like super trend that people come in the office and ask you for or yeah, you see around?
1: So there's a difference between cosmetic invasive and cosmetic non-invasive. Yeah. Definitely for non-invasive, Botox, fillers, those are really like the biggest. Uh, Some people are doing threading now, which is like pseudo-invasive.
0: What do you think of those? Because I have heard so many stories of them just not working. And sometimes they work. And sometimes there's just no guaranteed result. Is that the way it is? Or
1: I think, listen, as a surgeon, we always say surgery is the most definitive option to get your results. Obviously, there's risks involved, there's scars involved, there's more downtime involved. But it's just a fact. I mean, you're going there and invasively doing what you need to do. Threading is somewhat of a middle ground. I think it can help in certain things for very mild things. I think the people that don't get the results they want, it's probably they needed something more, but they went with the threading option because they didn't want to spend the money or they didn't want too much downtime or too much pain. You know, I have a friend, for example, she's a dentist. She always asked me, you know, I have this like very, very mild smile line on this one side, or like this marionette line here. And she's young. I mean, she's relatively young. She's 38. So I told her, you know, I wouldn't do surgery on you. You could do filler. You could also do a little bit of threading and that'll pull that tissue up because she has lax skin mm-hmm. leading to that. And I'm like, if you could, you know, thread a uh, thread a little bit to kind of offset that line.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But someone like that most likely in not the near future, but in the future will, you know, recur, it'll happen again and they'll need surgery. So it's one of those things, like if you do it a lot, when you actually need surgery, you're kind of like ruining your chances of getting a good surgical outcome because you're putting the thread in there. The body absorbs it and it creates collagen around it. And again, that's like a scar. That's like an internal inflammation that doesn't allow that the facial planes and the areas where you want to do surgery on to be virgin. And so it makes it more difficult to do what you need to do if you need surgery in the future. So the less you touch your face, the better it is if you ever need surgery later on okay. down the line.
0: That's so um, good to know. I have one question about that. We talked about preventative Botox before. If you use Botox and then later you need a facelift, that's not different. something to be, okay? be... Because
1: Botox, Botox is a toxin that mm-hmm. is taken up by your nerve terminals, right? You have yeah. nerves that go onto the muscle that innervate yeah. them. They make them contract. So these nerves they release calcium and different things that allow the acetylcholine or that hormone necessary for the muscle to contract. When you give Botox, your nerve terminal takes up the little Botox molecules. And now it's not able to release that acetylcholine to allow the muscle to contract. But your nerve terminals regenerate the things that are necessary every three to four months.
0: Okay. And
1: it metabolizes that toxin so that now it can innervate it like it did before and it works again so it's not like filler where you're putting something there that was never there and shouldn't be there and now your body kind of forms granuloma or in fact, uh, inflammation around it and you have this foreign body in you so botox mm-hmm. is uh it's more like uh your body takes it up metabolizes it it's gone and then you need it again
0: sometimes we talk about preventative Botox also but how do you know where to prevent you know when you don't see like I have no wrinkles except this one thankfully (laughs) Um, well it would be
1: on animation at your age Okay. uh, when you're younger you know you ask people to make faces and you you assess which muscles are stronger than others Mm -hmm. so if you like right now if you raise your eyebrow You have very, very weak, and this is without any Botox, you have very, very weak frontalis muscle. You have a stronger (laughs) corrugator muscle. So for you, I'd probably inject here more than I would here.
0: Okay.
1: Um, And because that right eyebrow of yours is a little bit higher, I'd inject a little bit lower on the right side to even it out with the left side.
0: To me, who doesn't know anything about these things, it sounds like oh my God, it will weaken my muscle, then I will have more wrinkles. But that's the goal of Botox, to just weaken yeah. it. So you won't have wrinkles in the future. Correct. And I yeah. have another question because I have heard stories where Botox was injected and somebody has built wrinkles somewhere else. Does that happen? And why is that? Is it over-injected or wrong?
1: I think what what happens is if you don't inject everywhere or diffusely and you only focus on certain areas, then it'll make the other areas that weren't injected more obvious. So you have okay. to make sure you inject broadly and diffusely, to, you know, address all of the muscle.
0: Okay. Even if that
1: means like micro dosing it and giving you very little injection.
0: All right. So I want to get into the questions the bossy gang has sent in via Instagram. The first question was forehead reduction in scars. Is there a possibility to reduce a big forehead without visible scars?
1: Yes and no. So when people want to reduce their forehead, the incision that you make, okay, has to be made along the hairline. The reason is, is that you want to take that excess forehead skin, pull it up, remove what's excess. And now you're left with a shorter forehead. So to do that, there's different techniques. Some people do it very low, like on the actual forehead skin. I do it usually in the little tiny little hairs that you have. It's not really your hair bearing scalp, but it's like, where those like hairs start to grow, yeah, like right at the front of the hairline,
0: mm-hmm. just
1: there, and the incision is kind of like a squiggly. It's not straight, and okay. that can kind of uh, offset the the how obvious the scar is. Okay. So you and again, it's just genetic. Some people don't scar well, but there's definitely a way to do it where it's conspicuous and you know it's minimized
0: could you also laser this
1: after the scar heals possible? yeah yeah okay. after the scar heals you could definitely do laser treatments for scarring
0: okay. what kind of laser treatments would that be
1: some people do co2 laser there's okay. newer ones yeah erbium and I, i'm not familiar with all of them i okay. have to refresh my memory but
0: yeah
1: um yeah there's different types for different things
0: but there's a possibility for them to also just laser the scar to make it more softer and subtle. What's baby Botox? Is the next question. Baby Botox
1: is what I just talked about. It's microdosing. I do baby Botox because I hate injecting people here, 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 like one area or a few areas. And then it's like, everything looks very exaggerated. I microdose it. I do baby Botox where I give you a little bit everywhere so that you don't end up with the Eyebrow like this or something crazy. You kind of you look the way you do now without the lines.
0: Next question is why do I keep hearing that beauty is in its asymmetry when we all strive for a symmetric face? What do surgeons mean by that?
1: I think what surgeons mean is that not everything is perfect, not everything is symmetric, hundred percent. When someone comes in for their breasts, we always tell them your breasts are not twins. They are sisters,
0: <laughs> yeah, like <right>? the brows. <laughs> they're not
1: right. They're not perfectly, perfectly yeah. symmetric, and it's also a matter of taste. I personally believe that a little bit of a flaw or an asymmetry gives a person character. It, it makes you look real. Uh, it makes you look like you weren't done. Mm-hmm. Some people want to look done, and in those cases, then you have to really achieve a hundred percent symmetry.
0: The last question is. Do you know who did Megan Fox's nose?
1: <laughs> no idea. No um, idea. An and interesting... if I did, I, I don't think I'd be at liberty to share that information, but I, I have no idea.
0: I think that question is also really interesting. Do you know between surgeons who does whose face in Hollywood, you living in Beverly Hills? Is it known or due to the strict laws, it's impossible to know unless they reveal it themselves?
1: I mean, the surgeon technically should not. It's a HIPAA violation. You're yeah. not supposed to say who you operate on, but okay. unfortunately, some people talk about it. Some things are like known information. Like in LA, for example, like everyone knows that Kim Kardashian goes to Simon Orion, who's a dermatologist, yeah. and he does all the skin stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and as far as the BBLs, you know, and I think the nose. I'm. But I'm do not quote me on this. You know, yeah. Ashkan Gavami. You know, yeah. I know that or. People know that some of the Kardashians go to him. Mm-hmm. But exactly what they got done and how much they got done, you know, that's not that's on the medical records, And that's not really information that surgeons share unless mm-hmm. the celebrity wants them to. But
0: it is really interesting to know if the results are really great, like the Angelina Jolie look. If you really analyze her before and after pictures, I saw this on the channel of Laurie Hall, where she analyzed exactly the before and after. And the surgery must have been done by a surgeon who is specialized in um feminization surgery as well because you see like such subtle differences that make all the difference in the world and that's where you want to know where they have been going to and we have so much information now <laughs> that thank come you. from thank a professional you. i know we like to look up all those things online and you know go into study sometimes and share them also on this podcast but it's nothing like having a specialist on the show who who knows his stuff right and it's been a pleasure having you here
1: thank you thanks and for having me
0: thank you for for being here and taking your time. Uh, what is your Instagram handle and what is your website called?
1: So it's at Dr. Samuel Golpanian. That's uh, S-A-M-U-E-L-G-O-L-P-A-N-I-A-N. That's my Instagram. And then the website is www.drsamuelgolpanian.com.
0: Thank you so much. I hope you really like the episode today. I hope aside from it being fun and entertaining topics, you learned a thing or two today or your questions were answered. As you know, I'm obsessed with skincare and nutrition and all things beauty related. And covering a part of the world of surgery today was actually really fun. Make sure you subscribe to Spotify and Apple or you know, wherever you get your podcasts from. Also though, subscribe to our YouTube channel so you get a notification once I upload the video to this podcast episode and the short videos that I will upload on YouTube. Thank you bossies for tuning in today and until next week. Bye!